You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. If you were to come to my house for a special event, you may get to see the special china that is blue and white, and it came from St. Petersburg in somewhere around 1998. My mom had traveled to Russia several times, and I don't know how she pulled it off, but she got this china all the way from St. Petersburg back to us to give as a gift to my wife. And uh, we, when we were first married, we thought, what are we going to do with that? Like, we were just a young couple. We didn't know. Like, we were kind of thinking, oh, that's nice. Well, actually, you do use that stuff. You just don't know that you're going to use that stuff. And it is this very delicate, beautiful china that is so valuable now at the time when, uh, this time in Russia, this was at at a, a very fragile time in Russia, the China was very cheap, but she got it, she brought it all the way back and she made it home with that stuff. And if you come for a tea party to our house, which uh, sometimes happens, uh, that stuff's coming out, right? And you get the feeling that if you just sneezed wrong, you could crumple that stuff. It's so delicate, it's so beautiful, it's so valuable. And you know also that this is the kind of stuff that will get passed down from one generation to another to another. And it's just going to go on like that because it has been entrusted from my mom to my wife. It will get entrusted to another generation and so on. This kind of thing treated with such care, with such value, is normal to us when we think about it. But what I want you to see is that the faith that has been coming to you from generation to generation to generation started in Jerusalem. It's not something that should be kept set apart. It's not something that should be only used in special occasion. It is not fragile. It is sturdy. But it is precious. And every single one of us has been entrusted with this incredible gift, the Gospel. The book of 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. Today we start a study on this very personal letter. It's one of three pastoral epistles. You've got the letter to Titus, you've got 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And unlike the prison epistles, these pastoral epistles are written specifically to Titus and to Timothy to help them form healthy churches. Strong, vibrant churches. And not just healthy churches, but healthy leaders inside the church. This is an important book, and this is an important book for us at this time in our lives. If you could say that 1 Timothy is a blueprint for how to form a healthy church, 2 Timothy is a blueprint for how to form a healthy leader. And I want you to know that for most of my life, born in the summer of 1969, that feels like an eternity when I say it, like that's a long time ago, but let me tell you something, we've had a pretty good easy run as Christians in America. 
I would not assume that that is going to be our future as a church. It's going to get harder and harder to be an outward follower of Christ. Pastors are quitting left and right in America, really globally. Mostly since COVID. COVID revealed things that was already in the church that couldn't be seen until it got shaken like that. Pastors had no idea. I had no idea what to say about all of the things about masks and uh, germs and that kind of stuff. I didn't know how to lead a church through any of that. I didn't know what to say when the, all of the complexity and the difficulty of politics started to just really become so loud and so vocal and people inside various houses were on different sheets of music. They were fighting with each other. It wasn't just one family over here wanted red carpet and the other cop family over here wanted blue carpet. That used to divide churches. Whether we were going to sing hymns, whether we were going to sing contemporary songs, that used to just divide divide churches like crazy. No, now it was politics, it was culture wars, it was all of that, and it's going to get worse. How will we, as Redeemer Georgetown, walk through the dark seasons, the difficult seasons? What are the foundations we are standing on? I want you to know that when this letter was written from Paul to Timothy, it's a very different context for him. Paul had been in prison before, but it was a house prison. He could have guests that would come and visit him. He could write letters, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, he, he wrote Colossians in that time. Okay, this is different. If you want to look it up, look up on Google, the Mamertine, Mamertine prison. It's so awful to imagine that Paul is writing, if you walk into that Mamertine prison, there's a manhole-sized cover that, that they pull off, and it's a hole that it goes down about 18 feet, and there's a stone floor, and that's where Paul was at with a bucket. That's where he's writing this letter. Utterly convinced that this is going to be the end of his life. It's the same prison that they put Peter in before they executed him. And so what is he doing? He's writing this letter to Timothy, his beloved son. This is a very intensely uh, personal letter. It's interesting that out of the 23 names that he mentions in this letter, Paul does that a lot. In this letter, 12 of those names are mentioned nowhere else in all of the New Testament. Well, so what? What that tells you is this is a lot of people that they knew, that only they knew. And then Paul had come to be, uh, be familiar with Timothy because he met him on his first missionary journey in the city of Lystra. And Timothy got saved. And Paul said, you're coming with me on the second uh, missionary journey. And so they'd been through a lot together. Lots of ups and downs. Lots of difficulties. And that's where Paul saw in Timothy, this is a man of God. I can trust him. And when all of the darkness and difficulty that happened when Nero had set Rome on fire, his way out of it in 66 AD was to blame the Christians. It was popular at that point to hate Christians. Being a Christian who was outspoken in any way would put a target right on you. 
So for Timothy to even be associated with Paul at this point, because Paul is the leader of the church, it kind of was like this, oh, so you're one of them. You're one of those. You're, you're his close companion. You're someone that he trusts. That means you're one of them. Friends, I want you to lean in with me this morning and I want you to listen for the voice of God as He speaks to us from the eternal words of Scripture because I believe in all of my heart that we are facing a very unique and challenging time to be a Christian who is outwardly uh, outspoken about your faith in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Well, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way that You see us, You know us, You care about our lives. Thank You, God, that Your Word is living and active. That You gather with us as we gather as a church today. That You are ready to speak to us, strengthen us, challenge us, exhort us, call us deeper to trust and love You. God, I pray that You would help us to be undistracted this morning from the things that would pull us away from You. Whether it's fears or shiny things that draw our affection away from You, Lord, call us closer in to You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The greeting is... Uh, a familiar greeting from Paul. Listen to this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a, it's, it's a standard greeting for Paul, but the thing that stands out to me is this idea of the promise of life. Okay, why would he say that? Why would it even matter? Because he's in the Mamertine prison. Because if he doesn't have the promise of life in that dark place, he would have no business, no reason to even write this letter. If there is nothing on the other side of this dungeon for Paul, then he has no good words to say to someone who is following him. You follow me, you end up in a dungeon like this unless, unless there's a promise of life. This is not the end. This is not the only world we will ever see. This is not the end of the road for us. There is a promise of life that shines brightly even in this dark, dank, terrible place. If you think about the thief on the cross, what is he doing coming to faith that day in a man who is dying next to him? Because he believed that that wasn't the end of the road. Let this shine over you. No matter how dark or bleak this gets, no matter how hard this life gets, this is not the end. We have life in front of us. It's the promise of life eternal that is in Jesus Christ. You will live with Him forever and reign with Him forever. And whatever you get cheated out of in this life, whatever you didn't get acknowledged for in this life, whatever bucket list things you didn't get to do in this life, don't worry about it. This is really just the dress rehearsal. The time is coming when life will break upon you. So Paul says, I want you to know about the promise of life. Grace, mercy, and peace. 
from God our Father. It's an important thing. Many of you already know this, but I want to remind you of this. Grace and mercy always precede peace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And yet, God loves you. Grace and mercy. Guilty people want mercy. People who are innocent, they don't need mercy. They just want justice. But people who are guilty and know that they're guilty in front of a holy God, they want mercy. They want to receive from God grace, this unmerited favor, but they also don't want to receive what they duly deserve. They want mercy. And when they've got grace, and when they've got mercy, guess what falls out of that? The derivative is it's peace. It's peace. It's shalom. It's the sense of, ah, I'm going to be all right. I didn't want this or that to happen. I don't like the hurt that is in my life right now, the, the injustice of all this, and I don't like the things that are going on. But I have peace because God has given me grace and God has given me mercy. And here's a test you can do. When you have no peace... When your peace seems to have vanished on you, you have no sense of well-being, no sense of you're going to be alright. Go back and ask yourself, what has gotten larger in your life than the grace and the mercy of God? Something has swelled up. Some trouble, some defeat, some narrative has started to sound its voice in your life. And because of that, you've lost your peace. Paul is writing from a dungeon. Grace, mercy, and peace. And it comes from God our Father because of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Well, that's his introduction. He doesn't take long before he starts to do something that you're going to find is uniquely brilliant in 2 Timothy. Paul uses past present, and future tense, all through the book, you'll see him pointing backwards, pointing to the now, and pointing to the future, and he's always pointing to the faithfulness of God. And he's saying this, in the past, God was faithful. God has been faithful to me now, and He will be faithful in the future. Now remember, this is a guy who does not believe he has more than hours and at most days to live writing to someone that he knows is going to be the next leader. The, the leader of a church in Ephesus that Paul founded. This young man needs to believe in the sovereign faithfulness of God. Faithfulness in the past, faithfulness in the now, and faithfulness in the future. Listen and see if you pick up on what he's doing. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Let's just stop for a moment. I thank God when I think about you because I am serving God like my ancestors did, just like Abraham did in his time just like Moses did in his time, 
just like David did in his time, just like Jeremiah did in his time. I thank God because I'm serving Him just exactly like they did. They had their little season of life and they served God. I have done it now in my time and God has remained faithful to me. I serve Him with a clear conscience. Why does Paul need to say that? Well, because he's under accusation. The narrative against Paul at this point from Rome and from Jewish leaders is that you're a bad man who deserves to die. You are a disruptor of peace and you're going to die because of that. And by the way, your own nation agrees with us. That's who you are. Paul says, that's fine. Say what you'd like. I have served God with a clear conscience. Now, this matters to me and it matters to you and let me explain why. The winds of his culture have blown hard against him, accusing him with a pretty sound argument. Look around you, Paul. Look around you. You're dying because you're guilty. And your own nation says so, and we agree with it, and that's the truth about you. And Paul says, yeah, see, that's, that's one narrative of what's going on here. I've got a different one, what God says about me. I hope you can hear this. <laughs> you determine that you're going to follow Jesus in this world, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. You're going to be seen as a bigot. You're going to be seen as narrow-minded. You're going to be seen as a... You, you just fill in the blanks. You're going to go against culture. You're going to go against the norm. And you're going to be told that you're just really kind of a jerk, kind of a Neanderthal. I don't know what they're going to say, but that narrative is going to ring true in your heart and mind. And then you're going to have to decide, do I let that story of me shape who I am? Or am I going to look right back and say, Father, what do you say? What's your narrative of me? Uh, you don't often know this, that the most important voice that you're listening to right now is your own. Your view of who you are. Right? Or, second to that, they. What they say. What they say about you. There's a very powerful they out there somewhere. We usually imagine it's a larger group than it really is because people really aren't thinking about you. Let's be honest. You're imagining they think this about you. They haven't thought about you. They're thinking of themselves. Right? Okay. They or you have a narrative and here's what Paul has already determined. It really doesn't matter. My conscience is clear. I am serving God and I'm serving Him exactly like my ancestors did when they walked with Him. And here's the truth, Timothy. I'm praying day and night for you. For you. Because that was the past. I have been the present serving God. And guess what, Timothy? I'm praying that in the days to come, you will walk forward with this precious gift of the gospel and that you will not fail and you will not faint and you will not have a, uh, a sense of yourself that is determined by they or by you, but let it be determined by God. Friends, listen, we... We all just went through the holidays, right? And uh, you, you've got family members that came. and These are the family members that are always on receive mode. They came. They, 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 they had the food. 
They didn't participate much in the preparation or the cleanup. You know, I mean, you know, some of our new parents, I'm guessing that Paxton and Gage and Duncan, I, I, Vivian, I bet they didn't clean up much at all. <laughs> kind of sat around complaining and crying and spilling food everywhere and, and you know, taking naps when everybody else is kind of working a little bit. They just didn't do anything. Of course they didn't. They're babies. That's what babies do. Friends, you know the family of God, the church, has spiritual dads in it, spiritual moms in it. Do you know? Like I, Sometimes I look down and I see this communion and I'm thinking, Kirsten does that every week. <laughs> Kirsten and her family, the, you know, the fears, they just do this. I don't even tell them thank you that often. I'm like, they just do it. They took responsibility for something because they're, they're like spiritual moms and dads. They didn't come and just show up and go, I'll take mine medium rare, whatever you're fixing. You know, they, they serve, they give, they participate. It'd be so easy. I don't want you to feel beat up by this. I just want you to know that what Paul is praying for Timothy is, I want you to be a dad now. Not just... You know, that, that song, uh, Hotel California, I called up the captain, please bring me my wine. We haven't had this period here since 1969. Bro, what are you thinking? We're just all here to serve you. You know, how about you drop that? Begin to serve. Your faith that started with our ancestors has been given to you. I've participated in it. It's your turn, Timothy. And I'm praying day and night that you will become one who takes responsibility inside the church, one who gives, one who participates, one who may not get any credit or thank yous, but shows up and says, how may I serve the Lord? Like my ancestors did, like my uh, mentor Paul has done, how may I serve? And friends, let me tell you something. There's a weird transaction that happens when you start coming and stop saying this thing that sounds like this. What am I going to get out of it? It's so natural for us to do, but at some point, just drop that and start loving Him back. And just, What do you want to do? Lord, how do you want me to serve you? Paul is praying that Timothy becomes not just a, a, a toddler or uh, an adolescent in the church. He's praying day and night. And by the way, I'm, I'm guessing if you're in that prison, in that dungeon, it's natural to spend a lot of your time praying. Remembering Timothy's tears. Paul was probably arrested right there in front of Timothy. Didn't have time to get his books. Didn't have time to get his cloak. Didn't have time to do anything. He was taken into custody and Timothy just broke. Why? Because I need this guy in my life. I need his presence. He prays for me. He encourages me. He lifts me up. You know what he's saying? I'm praying for you, Timothy, because it's now it's your turn to do that. It's your turn to become that. To let go of what you're going to get out of my presence in your life and start to become that. Start to live as a servant of Christ, serving Him in your time like our ancestors did, like I've done, and now it's your turn. I, I want that. I want that for you because I know what God will do. I know what God's going to do when you start to say to Him, 
Not just, hey, 2024, do with me whatever you want. That's, that's a great prayer. Here's a better prayer. God, I'm looking for the place you want me to serve you, and I'm going to engage. Not just, not just pray and wait. Pray and wait's good for a moment or two. Pray and go. Pray and engage. It's time for moms and dads and siblings to step forward and say, what can I give? How can I serve the one who gave his life publicly, shamefully on a cross? He served me. It's time. Well, that's what he says. I'm praying for you night and day. I long to see you because seeing you brings joy to me. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now hear this, past, present, and future. The faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you. And because of that, and for this reason, because it started in your grandmother and it went to your mother and it's now in you, because of that, for this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. you see it again? Your faith has been handed down to you. It's in you now. I have no doubt, I, I'm not a grandfather yet, no real even prospects of it, you know, I'm waiting on that, it's, I'm told it's pretty cool, <laughs> you know, you get to send them on back when they get too much, there you go, I spoiled them, I filled them with sugar and gave them generous gifts, now they love me, you put them to bed, right, but listen grandparents, and if you're a grandparent, <laughs> your greatest contribution spiritually speaking, will likely be your grandkids. You can pray for them. You can invest in them. Memories make weight. Picture a paper cup that has rocks inside of it, sitting on a park bench or a park table. It can stand up to that wind because of the weight that's in it. Guess what, grandparents? You put weight in the paper cups of your grandkids, as you pray for them, as you walk with them, as you make memories with them, as you teach them about the Lord. I just want to see your hand if you're a grandparent in this room. Can you just raise your hand? I also want to see your hand if a grandparent made a real impression in your life spiritually. Can you raise your hand if a grandparent made you? Come on now. It's time. It's time because let me tell you something. We get to be the inheritance of, we get to be the recipients of a spiritual deposit that God made in your grandparents that He wants to now make through your grandparents into your life. You say, I'm not a grandparent. I'm not either. But I can tell you something. This church is filled with little ones. What if you could help their parents? What if you could, what if you could be a part of watching their kids raised in faith? What a gift that would be. But you're going to have to drop. What do I get out of this? It may not be much fun at first. It'll be fun once you start serving. Your faith was in your grandmother, Lois. She's mentioned in Scripture. That's kind of cool. Yeah, there's my verse. You know my name in the book. You know? It was in your mother as well. 
Paul saw them get saved and he saw young Timothy there in Lystra and he saw the faith of these godly women, a godly grandmother on my mom's side, Zelma Banks. She prayed for me and my brother and sister and we were off the rails for a while and she prayed for us. All three of us are saved. All three of us walking with the Lord now. I so credit my grandma for that. The Lord's work through my grandmother's prayers and my mom's prayers. That's what's going on here. And, and so, because this faith came through them and it came through me and now it's in you, for this very reason, Timothy, because it is not just something that appeared to you, it was, it was a precious gift handed down to you, because of this, I'm telling you, fan the flame. Fan the flame. He says, for this reason I remind you, so this is something you already heard me say to you, Timothy. But let me remind you again. Fan into flames the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. My first men's retreat in um, Illinois, we were uh, on a ski trip with the guys. And at this ski lodge, I don't exactly know how this happened, but there was a fireplace at each end of this kind of hall. Like, it wasn't a hall. It was like a, it was a room with a big table. And, and uh, man, we were cold. It was cold in that room. We were up in Wisconsin for the trip. And we had some hardcore guys. We had several guys that were young, and they were engineers. And we had several other guys that were just like blue-collar guys, Minnesotans, you know. And, and before I know it, they're both building a fire in teams on the, each side of the room. <coughs> Well, okay, good. Let's see who can start one first, I guess. I don't know. Turned into a competition. The young engineers were like, man, they were constructing I don't know what out of theirs. Uh, the older guys over here, a guy named Mike, Mark Queeton is an HVAC guy. You're like, I'm, I'm putting my money on Mark. I don't care. Like Mark and Ron, they build houses and stuff like that. And... and they're both building these fires. And I'm telling you something, building a fire and tending a fire are two different things. Some of you will probably know this, but like building one, you've you got to get it started, right? And that's a little more work than tending it. Once it's going, my goodness, just throwing a log on there, right? Okay, what, what was the greatest moment of the whole thing was, was that Mark, after he got his fire going much quicker, than the other guys who'd probably overthought the whole thing. I see Mark over there with a hair dryer doing this. <laughs> so what are you doing? I'm just I'm just I'm getting this fire going. Mark's an HVAC guy who can build anything. You know, he's, he's adding fuel to the fire. He wants air in that fire. And the engineers saw that and thought, aha, we need to do that, you know? And I was like, I was having more fun watching this whole interaction happen. Here's what I want you to hear about this. What Paul is telling Timothy is, everybody in the room wants the fire of your spiritual life. I'm about to die, Timothy. And it's time for you to be the one who builds and tends the fire. Fan it into flames. You're going to have to take responsibility for your own spiritual fire. You're going to have to be the one who engages. I know I've had that role in your life all these years, and now it's your turn to fan the flame of the fire of God in your life. Now listen to me. 
fires just naturally burn out unless some responsible person says, for the sake of the whole room, I'll get up and I'll tend to this. I'll make sure it has what it needs so it keeps going. Would you know right now in this moment, what is it that causes my faith in God to burn brightly? What is that? And who has been tending it all these years? Because I hear in this that it's now my turn, it's my chance, it's my responsibility to tend to that flame. Let me encourage you, as you come into a, into a new season, fan the flame that is in you, that came to you from generations back, that others have poured into through their prayers, through their preaching, through their friendship, through their quiet moments with you. They've tended to that in you. And now it's your turn to take responsibility. Everybody needs the flame. Everybody needs the warmth of a vibrant, healthy church in Georgetown. And so what we need is for you to say, I will take responsibility to follow the call of God, to build and to attend to the flame that is in my life. Friends, there are things that will ignite a flame in you and cause it to burn brightly. And there are other things in your life, and you know what they are. They are extinguishing that flame, that faith. There are worldly things, worldly narratives. You can fill it in. There are certain friends that drag you into worldliness. There are certain friends that pull you up into godliness. There are certain books that you read that do the same thing. There's gathering with the church. As Josh was singing, man, I, I was just like, God, this is good. And I was just worshiping God. And that ignites a flame in me. And I've got friends that do the same. And some of my friends are in this room. And some of them, I've never met them before. I've never met, well, I have met Andrew Peterson. I, ha I haven't met C.S. Lewis. But I count him as a mentor who pours gasoline on the fire of my soul. He's like old Mark Queen with that hair dryer. And he's just like, man, I just listen to C.S. Lewis. And I'm like, ah, yes. Confession of sin reading and memorizing of Scripture, prayer, laughter with Christians, good meals. You know what I'm really saying? Don't stand back and tell God you're ready for Him to do whatever He wants in your life. That's fine. That's good. Okay, wait. here's His answer then. Join. Participate, prioritize, gather with the church, not only on Sunday, but during gospel community. And start to pray and ask God, we want to see a Redeemer Liberty Hill. And we want to see a Redeemer Salado and Gerald. We want to see another and another and another. And we want to serve the kids. And we want to serve in worship. We want to give generously. We want to forgive those who have wronged us. We want to engage deeply in the life of Christ. And I'm not going to sit around waiting for some mentor to do that for me. I'm just going to ask God, would you show me where and how I can engage? And some of you are thinking, but what if I try something and it just goes bad? Like what if I say that I'm going to serve in this way and what if I step out there to do something like a gospel community and, and then they put me on the spot to pray out loud and I'm not ready to pray out loud and then they put me on the spot. 
Or I get in there and they find out that I'm a fraud. They find out that I'm a sinner. Well, guess what, friends? They're going to find out you're a sinner. There's no hiding that. I got good news. They're all sinners too. Don't be too impressed with any Christian. The only thing impressive about a Christian is Jesus. I've known too many pastors. I promise you, it ain't, it ain't that big a deal. You might be afraid of what it would look like if you say yes to God. We're all afraid. We're all afraid of that. So what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He has given us power, love, and self-control. Fear of the what if that would keep you from trusting God, that's not coming from God. It's not coming from God. If you look at the future and you go, man, I, I'm just really afraid. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm not going to have enough money. I'm not going to have enough uh, competence to do this. I, I'm just afraid. Okay, that's not coming from God. That is not coming from God. If you wake up in the night and, and instead of going back to sleep, your mind starts racing about what if, and some of you are very good at this. Man, you can stack one fear on top of another and before you know it, you're homeless and you're living down by the lake and, you know, like it, all because you didn't do the dishes or something last night. I don't know. Like you found a way to stack one fear on another and you're borrowing tomorrow's trouble and you have found yourself absolutely in your future narrative. You're desolate you're, because you had this. That's not coming from God, friends. That is a lie from the enemy of your soul. And he's good at it. He's a, he's a, he's a, it's his native language and he's good at lying. That did not come from God. Fear does not come from God. But here's what he does give. He gives you power. He gives you love. And he gives you, this says self-discipline, but it's a bigger picture than that. It's actually the picture of a tranquil mirror-like pond. Up there in Lake Placid, where we go on vacation often, there's a lake there. It's called in Lake Placid. It's called Mirror Lake. It's just so placid. It's just so peaceful. It's just so mirror-like. It's so beautiful. That's your soul when you trust in God. Well, he says he gives power. What does he mean by that? Well, Philip Yancey used to tell the story of going to his pastor's house one time. Middle of the afternoon, his pastor had invited him over and they were going to meet and talk. He said, hey, let me finish up a couple of things. My son and I were building steps. We're building steps. And so the six-year-old son was helping the dad put the rock steps into place. And the six-year-old really was more in the way, but he wanted to help. And so as the stones were getting into place, his dad would say, all right, come on over here and put your hands on the stone. And his little hands would go onto the stone and his dad's hands would go on the, other, on the outside. And he'd say, when I count to three, we're going to push. The six-year-old son goes, all right. And dad would come in and they'd push. Let me tell you something that's a great picture of when God calls you to do something that's just bigger than you. You can use all you've got, and He calls you to use all you've got, all your wits, all your charm, all your intelligence. You're going to put your little hands on the process of whatever God's calling you into, and you're going to use all you've got. 
But trust me, when you do that, and God puts His big strong hands on the outsides of yours, He's going to start moving things in your life with the power of the resurrection, and you're going to be amazed. You've got power. doesn't mean that it's all yours. His and yours is your power together. There are things you can't do that He's going to ask you to do. You're outmatched. Okay, six-year-olds can't move stones either. It's not that big. God says, yeah, just, let's just do it together then. I wonder, as you look at trusting God into the future with something you feel outmatched, if you would just say, okay, God, I'm going to give all I got, but I'm going to need your hands on either side of me. You're going to have to get on either side of me, and we'll push it together. God will give you power to do what you can't do. He's also going to give you love. And just like that six-year-old can't move the stone, there's certain, there's certain things you just don't love. There's certain people that are hard to love. Okay, Father, I don't love what you're asking me to do. I don't love this person. They're difficult to love. Will you give me your love? You love them. You care about this ministry. You care about this thing. You care about this person. Will you, will you put your love in me? Would you give me your love? And as I try and as I engage, will you fill me with your love? Yes, He will. And out of that, peace, placid. You know, Timothy is known in Scripture, a lot of times you hear this, that he was a timid guy. Very timid. I, I Come on, let's go easy on Timothy. I mean, he's living in a time when Nero is absolutely uh, taking Christians and putting them into the Colosseum to be devoured by wild animals. I'm, 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 I'm going to go a little easier on the guy. I, I don't really want to fight a lion either. <laughs> Timothy, I'm about to go away. Any day, any moment, and you're next. And friends... There's so much excitement in that. It's fun. I'm going to tell you one last story about a second fire that I saw one night. Men's retreat in my church in Sherman. We'd gotten a group of guys that wanted to go fishing up in Oklahoma. And uh, it was cold. Gosh, it was cold that night. And I don't know how it happened, but we ended up just an ordinary group of guys making fire. We didn't know, you know. But next to it, so we got the fire going. It was fine. It was doing fine. It was, it was good. But man, we were about, I don't know, 50 yards away from a group of Okies. And if you don't know what I mean by country Okies, these guys were something else. They were kind of loud. Um, man, they, they got their fire going. And I mean, on either side of their campfire... They had, like, this guy, I remember, in his overall, like, uh, thing. He's his overall, and he didn't have a shirt on. He just had his overall straps. And I'm like, man, this guy's freezing to death, but he's standing next to this 10-foot fire. You know what he's got? He's got a leaf blower. And he's cranking that leaf blower, and he's laughing, and there's another guy on the other side, and they're laughing, and they're just firing those leaf blowers up into the heart of that fire, and people are like, yeah, they're just, just celebrating that fire, having the time of their lives feeding that fire with leaf blowers. And I'm like, you know something? There is a lot of joy when the church comes together with, forgive me, spiritual leaf blowers 
They start to pray. They start to sing. They start to serve. They start to honor God together. And you will see it when you see a group of Christians singing out in a big Colosseum-like thing, in, in like a, a Promise Keepers thing, or a Together for the Gospel thing. And the church comes together and starts to sing, and it's like the room lights up. And there's joy there. And you think, God, I want to be in that. Yeah, me too. You've been entrusted with something precious. And it's not the China. We're just a bunch of clay vessels, but what we hold, what we hold in us, is the message of the gospel, the presence of Christ, and the message of forgiveness through grace. And our culture needs it. And you're invited into it. Pray with me.